All right, we're in 2 Samuel 8, and we're also going to look at chapter 9 as well. 2 Samuel 8 and 2 Samuel 9. couple updates on missions trips. We had a missions trip to Chihuahua this week. Uh, 13 people went down with Pastor Sean. It was a great trip visiting our Light Shine community. We've got a trip headed out to Uganda at the end of the month uh, after Easter. Uh, and so can be praying for them as they uh, get ready and are prepared to do so. Uh, Pastor Kent and his family are in Uganda. They got into their home. He did break his foot, so you could be uh, praying for them. He missed a step and fractured his foot right before they moved, so really good timing, right? And then uh, Steve and Gail are headed out soon to go back to Uganda, so be praying uh, for them. So that we're looking forward to what God's going to be doing uh, in Uganda. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. And as we look at living in your grace tonight, we pray that it would be fresh to us, that we would understand in a greater way, Lord, how you minister to us because of Jesus, that we have your favor, your love, your acceptance, your forgiveness because we're in Christ. So, Father, would you bless this time and would you pour out your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, amen. A quick review, because it's been several weeks since we've been in 2 Samuel, is David is established now as king. And we're going to find in chapter 8 his conquests, his battles. And we're going to fairly quickly go through chapter 8. I'm just going to hit a few highlights. And we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 9, where we see this man Mephibosheth. He's Jonathan's son. Yes, say Mephibosheth five times really fast, right? And he's a great picture. He's lame in his feet, both feet. He can't walk. And David chooses to show him kindness because of Jonathan. And it's really an example for us of what it means to live in grace. And that's the title of tonight's message is living in grace, receiving God's grace and extending it to others. If you think about what you're living in, I mean, what would you describe your daily existence? I'm living in stress. I'm living in anger. I'm living in anxiety, I'm living in hope, I'm living in love, and I really believe that God's heart for us is that we would be living in grace, not living in legalism, not based on our works or our performance, but truly understanding the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. So I pray that God's grace would impact you afresh this evening. So let's begin with chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 4, going to jump down to to verse 4. David took uh, from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. So enlisting these victories of David, he chooses to hamstring some of the horses. And you'd say, why in the world would he do that? Because of Deuteronomy 17, God spoke to the future kings of Israel and says, don't multiply horses, wives, and wealth. And David says, I'm not going to trust in chariots. I'm not going to trust in horses. I'm going to trust in the Lord. And it's an amazing display of his faith that he only keeps a hundred chariots. And the rest of the horses, he goes ahead and he cuts off their hamstrings so they wouldn't be profitable in battle any longer. And it shows his faith and the dependency upon the Lord. Now jump with me down to verse 11. We get another highlight. This is the victories. If you read these, this chapter, there's tons of spoil that David has taken. 
King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with silver and gold that he had dedicated from all of the nations which he had subdued. So David could have easily kept all this for himself. And we've seen as we look throughout the Old Testament with many of the kings of Israel that they didn't handle God's blessing very well. It tripped them up. They got in pride. And David refuses to take this for himself, but he dedicates it unto the Lord, once again showing his heart for God. And we jump down to verse 14, the end of the verse, and the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Isn't that powerful? Everywhere he went, God preserved him. God protected him. In verse 15, so David reigned over all of Israel, and David administered judgment and justice to all his people. Shows how David was a great leader. This is the role of government. He's the king. What is government to do? To give judgment and justice. And David, he provides that. The end of the chapter gives us a group of names, and it shows that David has the wisdom to operate in delegation and also in a team concept. We don't find that with Saul. Saul took all the leadership upon himself, but David surrounds himself with good leaders. And that's something that you can apply in your heart and in your life, is you don't want to do life alone. You don't want to do ministry alone. You you don't want to be isolated inside of your family, inside of friendships, inside of your workplace. You may be a, a lone ranger in your workplace. And there's great value in being able to work together. And David is a good leader because he assembles a great team. Now we go to chapter nine, and that's the fastest I've ever gone through a chapter. So the conquest of David. Now we get to chapter nine, where we look at this great picture of grace. David giving grace, Mephibosheth receiving grace. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David has been on the throne now for about 15 years. I don't know what jogged his memory to think, well, I made a commitment to Jonathan. I made a covenant with Jonathan that I would stand behind his his children. So now he's asking. He's not aware of. It's not upon his, his radar that there's any of Jonathan's descendants. So he's asking the question. He says, I want to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And if you're taking notes tonight, if not, pray this through with me. It's the nature of grace. It's the nature of grace. And grace is a, a gift that we don't deserve. It's the opposite of what we deserve. And what is the substance of grace? Why is it that God can give grace to us, not only in the past, but also in the present? It's because the very nature of it is God, the Father, is giving us kindness, favor, lavishing his acceptance and forgiveness upon us for Christ's sake. It's not because of Mephibosheth that he's going to receive this kindness. It's because of Jonathan. It's David's commitment to Jonathan. And you're going to get really tripped up in understanding grace. Well, why does God keep blessing my life? Why does God forgive me? Why is he preparing a place for me? There's one reason. Because you've trusted Christ as your Savior. And because of that, then the Father is giving grace because of Jesus. Just like David is giving grace because of Jonathan. We find this expressed in Ephesians 4, verse 32. It says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Why did God forgive you? Because of Christ. And so now we have to flip this on its head. We have to think about it this way. If we're going to be a person that gives grace, 
we have to then look and say it's because of Christ. So I'm going to begin to pour unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor upon others, not because of what they do, not whether I like them or I don't like them, not whether they've hurt me or not, but because of Christ. Christ has forgiven them. Christ has died for them. Christ loves them, especially if they're a believer. And if they're not a believer, we would desire that they would be. Amen? So this will change the way that you treat your spouse if you choose to live in grace. If you choose to understand the nature of grace, that you're going to be kind, you're going to be tender-hearted, you're going to give them your unconditional favor, not because of their personality, not because of their looks, not because of the way they treat you, but because of Christ. Because who they are in Christ, what Christ has done for them, Christ has died for them, and then you make that choice, you make that decision, this is the way that I'm going to treat them. It'll change the way that we view and treat our children. I'm going to be gracious towards them. Why? Because of Christ. Not because they're having a good day or a bad day, not because of their report card or their school attendance, but I am going to be gracious to them because of Christ. I'm going to forgive someone. Why in the world would I forgive? They haven't apologized. They don't deserve it. They haven't asked for it. No, I'm going to give grace to them because of Christ. I'm going to show kindness because of Christ. So that's the very nature of grace. If you're looking at this on a human view, on a lateral view, I'm just looking at this person, trying to decide whether I'm going to give them grace or not, that's the wrong perspective. But if you can get from that heavenly perspective and go, I'm giving them grace because of Christ. So that's the nature of grace that we see in verse 1. In verse 2, and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. That's a pretty cool name. I've never had a Ziba on a baby dedication. So if you have a boy, you could be the first Ziba if you want. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So we're introduced once again to Mephibosheth. Second time he's given to us. The first was in chapter four, verse four, where the day that his dad died, Jonathan, and his grandfather died, Saul, his nanny, if you would, his nurse picked him up. He's five years old and they're running for their lives and she drops him. And there's an accident. The result of the fall is he's crippled in both of his feet. He can't walk. Maybe his spinal cord was damaged and he then became paralyzed. We don't know exactly the nature, but we did know he was dropped. And after that, he never regained being able to use his feet. What a difficult day in the life of Mephibosheth. His dad died. Jonathan was an amazing man a tremendous warrior, great character, compassionate, kind, served others. I'm sure that Mephibosheth had great memories with his dad, even in those those five years. How do you explain to a five-year-old that your dad has has died, your grandfather has died, plus you're not going to walk again? And at this time, it'd be much more difficult to not have the use of your feet, to not be mobile. It's very challenging in our day, but they didn't have all of the devices, all of the the medical equipment, all the wheelchairs, those types of things. 
not only is he crippled, but he is Saul's grandson. And when you're Saul's grandson, Saul's no longer king, normally what would happen is the new king that's not of the family of Saul, which is David, he would go and he would kill all of the descendants of Saul. So he's got two whammies against him. And the biggest whammy is the fact that he is Saul's grandson. And all of a sudden, he hears that David, the king, is calling from him. We understand from verses 2 through 3 that Mephibosheth is hiding. David doesn't know where he's at. He's got to ask for him. And this brings us to our second thing to consider tonight, and it's this. It's the need for grace. It's the need for grace in our lives. In Mephibosheth, I think we see a powerful picture of all of us that we're lame, that we're crippled, that we've got a black spot upon us, that we're Saul's grandson, if you would. We deserve death. And in order to really understand and live in grace, to receive it from God and to give it to others, we've got to understand how much we need the grace of God. On Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 2 this Wednesday. And chapter 2 tells us that we're dead in our trespasses. And that means that there is nothing inside of us that can please God. We're in desperate need of grace. It's not that I had anything to contribute to God. It's not that tonight as believers, we have anything to contribute to God. It's not like God's going, I really need your service. I need your time. I need your money. I need your creativity. We're dead in our trespasses. We're in desperate need of the grace of God. And God's grace isn't just past tense in our lives. It's present tense, that God would would give us grace. And what we find with Mephibosheth is he doesn't deny that he's Saul's grandson. He doesn't deny that he's lame in his feet. He's like, here I am. And he understands that need for grace in his life because it's hard to receive grace. We want to earn our own way. We want to come to God and say, God, would you give me what I deserve? Maybe you've been dropped. Maybe you've been dropped by your spouse. Maybe you gave yourself completely to, to someone. It was a dating relationship. And they said that they loved you. And you decided to go ahead and give yourself fully to them. And then they left. They're out of your life. They dropped you quite literally. And your heart is broken. And there's a part of you that's crippled because of that. Maybe you feel lame because of your grandfather or your father or your mother. They dropped you. And it's left incredible hurt in your life. And you walk through life crippled because of it. Maybe you worked really, really hard to go to school, get a good education, Now you're out of school and you can't find a job and you feel dropped quite literally. And you're saying, man, if I could just talk to that college counselor that told me that, that, man, the higher rate was 90% in this field, I guess I'm the 10%. I feel dropped. I feel let down. Some of you maybe have stopped following the Lord in the way that you once did because you feel dropped by church leadership. You fell in love with God. You started serving God. You were passionate about Jesus Christ. And then there was a mentor who let you down. There was a pastor who failed. There were believers that started to gossip about you or hurt you or do the things that sometimes believers do as we fall fall into sin. And you feel crippled and you feel lame. And you're saying, man, I've been dropped. To some degree in our life, we've all been dropped, haven't we? 
We're Mephibosheth. We're lame. We need God's grace. Present tense in our lives. In verse 4, So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil, and Lo-Debar. So Ziba, who is a former servant of Saul, he knows where Mephibosheth is. The king David, the king David sent and brought him out to the house of Machir, the son of Emil, from Lo-Debar. David seeks him out. And this is a great picture of Jesus Christ. We're in hiding because we're crippled. We've been let down. We've been dropped. We're broken. And we don't want to face the crippledness in our lives, let alone to allow anybody else to see the brokenness. So we're hiding. And the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, as we sang tonight, the lion and the lamb. The lion speaks of the power of Christ. He's defeated sin. He's defeated the grave. The lamb speaks of him as the humility, and he's seeking you out. And he's saying, why are you hiding? Come to me. I want to talk with you. I want to expose your brokenness. I want to provide for this area of your life that's crippled. I want to heal you. I want to minister to you. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden? What did they do? They hid, and they hid from God. And the father comes and he speaks and he says, where are you? He already knew where they were at. He's God. But he's speaking out of a heart of relationship, a heart to desire to restore. How do you hear the voice of the father in the Garden of Eden? Is it, where are you? Where are you? You're going to get it now. Or do you hear the heart of a broken father? Where are you? I want to restore you. Tonight, you've got a choice to make. Stop hiding. Stop running. The king of kings, he's, he's calling to you. But this is what I've found about Jesus. I think you've experienced about Jesus as well. Is he'll call for you, but he will not kick the door down, will he? He's saying, hey, come on out of hiding. Let's deal with this lameness in your life. Let's deal with this crippledness in your life. I know you've been dropped. I know you've been, been hurt, but we have to respond. We've got to hear his invitation and then come to him and receive his grace and receive his, his provision. In verse six, now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. Mephibosheth has to be afraid. He has to be wondering, am I being called to be killed? And once he hears David call his name, I think he knows Mephibosheth. He knows he's not in trouble. He knows he's not in a place where he's going to receive judgment. And he responds and he says, I'm your servant. But what does he do first? He falls on his face showing humility. And that's the third thing to consider. It's humility in grace. God's word is really clear on this, that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And Mephibosheth has no problem expressing his need, expressing that he deserves judgment. He understands he's Saul's grandson. He's saying, I'm in for it. And for us to understand, God, I deserve your judgment. Today, March 12th, if God gave us what we deserve, look out, right? 
just today, if he gave us what we deserve, and to come before God, to get on our faces before God and thank him so much for his grace and his mercy. When was the last time that you were on your face before the Lord? That you're on your knees before the Lord? That you humbled yourself before God? Acknowledging our sin before God. Lord, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve these blessings that you've poured out into my life. I don't deserve your grace and, and your forgiveness and your provision. And because Mephibosheth is in that place of humility, David's able to pour out the grace upon him. The biggest hindrance maybe to the grace that God wants to pour into our lives is our pride. Well, I've got this. Mephibosheth could have very easily said, I know I'm lame in my feet and I don't need to eat at your table. I'll figure out a way. I'll pay my own bills. I'll take care of this. That's really where our flesh tends to go. It's hard to receive a, a free gift. Maybe God wants to do a work in your marriage, but he's waiting for you to be humble. Maybe God's wanting to use you in a way that would blow your heart and mind, but he's waiting you to be humble. He's waiting for us to, to come to God saying, God, I don't deserve to be used by you. I'm not talented in this way. It's not my gifts. It's not my abilities. But Lord, if you want to use me for your glory, I'm available. God's waiting for that place of humility. I really believe that humility is God's sweet spot. And what, what do I mean by that? He can't resist humility. If we're truly broken and we have a broken and contrite heart, he will not despise us, but he will resist the proud. I don't want to be lined up against God. I think of a football analogy, don't you? Being lined up against Von Miller. I don't have a chance, right? But that's nothing compared to being lined up against God. And we oppose God. He, he resists us when we get into that place of pride. And Mephibosheth, he shows great humility here. So verse 7, so David said to him, do not fear for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, for your father's sake, and you will and, and will restore to you all of the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread and eat at my table. So several things that grace gives. And the first thing is grace delivers us from fear. That's what the message is given to Mephibosheth. Don't, don't be afraid. I'm not here to kill you. I'm not here to do you in. I'm here to bless you. And that's the grace of God. Once we know that we're in Christ Jesus, that the Father is blessing us for Christ's sake, just like David is blessing for Jonathan's sake, we can be in a place where we don't live in fear anymore. I hope that our atmosphere and our relationship with God is not one of fear, but it's one of perfect love. And perfect love casts out all fear. See, if we're living in legalism instead of living in grace, we're always going to have an atmosphere of fear, aren't we? I didn't do enough. I missed Saturday night church. I didn't read my Bible today. I didn't pray. I didn't tithe. I didn't fast. The list goes on and on. And we're going to be in that place of bondage instead of in that place of being a son and the daughter of God. The next thing that we see is that grace brings restoration. Mephibosheth is going to get all of the land that belonged to Saul. That's a lot. He was king. David's given a big gift here. He's saying, you're going to get all of the land that belonged to, to Saul. And you believe that God can restore. In Joel chapter 2, verse 25, God speaks. He says, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, 
the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. These big grasshoppers that would come into Israel and destroy the crops. Do you believe that God can restore? The locusts has come in because of our sin and our poor choices, but God wants to restore in a great way. Just like God loves humility, he loves restoration. Don't you love restoration? I love old cars, old trucks, old houses, old churches. (laughs) It's just neat to see them be invested in, be rebuilt and restored. Anybody can throw up a new house in three or four weeks, but it's one thing to go into an old house to invest in it and see it restored, and that's what grace does. And God wants to do that in your life. You go, well, not my life. It's been too damaged. It's been too destroyed. God brings restoration. But what I really love at the end of verse seven is this, where David says, hey, you're gonna continually eat at my table. David was interested in a relationship. And that's why God is gracious. That's why God has sent his son so that he could welcome us to his table continually to be in relationship with us. There's only one way that Mephibosheth can be at David's table, and that's because of Jonathan. And there's only one reason that we can be in the presence of the Father, and that's because of Jesus, amen? So every day, he's able to look into our eyes and go, son, daughter, welcome to my table because you trust in my son, Jesus. Welcome into my presence because you trust in my son, Jesus, and I want to dwell with you. And in ancient times, to have a meal together was very different than in our culture. It was communion, it was fellowship, it was relationship. And David's expressing to him, Mephibosheth, I want to get to know you. I want you to be my friend. I want you to come and eat with me every day at my table. In verse 8, then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? The greatest obstacle to receiving grace is the reality that we don't deserve it. Mephibosheth, I'm a dead dog. I I don't deserve for you to give me all of Saul's land. I don't deserve to come to your table and, and eat there every day. Peter had a very similar encounter with the grace of God. You probably know the story from Luke's gospel. He's been fishing, doesn't catch anything all night long, Jesus speaks to him, throw your net on the other side. All these fish fill up Peter's boat. And at this point, Peter encounters his own sinfulness. He's like, God, you're filling my boat. You're giving me all these fish. I don't deserve it. And this is what Peter's initial response at that moment. He said to Christ, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. So I can't handle it. I can't handle that you're going to be so good to me and you're going to be so kind to me. This isn't some kind of gross manipulation from Christ. This isn't like some kind of weird parenting, like bribery, you know, like, okay, I'm going to give you a bunch of fish and then you're going to have to follow me, right? If you're really good, then this is what I'm going to do for you. That wasn't it at all. Jesus is just like, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to blow your mind, Peter. I'm going to give you more fish in a moment than you ever caught in a lifetime and I'm going to sink your boat with fish. And Peter's like, man, I don't deserve this. God, you're so good to me. And in in that moment, he was seriously considering and declaring, Jesus, just depart from me. 
because I'm so sinful. I don't deserve this. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, why don't you follow me? Why don't you serve me? Why don't you come eat at my table? And Peter says, okay, I'm gonna follow you. And that's exactly what happens in our lives as well. God pours grace into our lives, gives us things that we don't deserve, spiritual and physical, and we can either run from it and say, Jesus, depart from me. I'm sinful. I don't deserve this. Or we can humbly receive it and hear the voice of Jesus where he says, follow me, follow me. In verse nine, and the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given you your master's son, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring in harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. This is great. Not only does he get Saul's land, but he gets people to take care of it. David looks at Ziba and says, you guys, your sons and your servants, you're going to take care of the land. Mephibosheth can't take care of the lamb. He's lame in both of his feet. When God provides, he provides good, doesn't he? You know? And he's giving this provision to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth's life has changed in a moment since David has called him in. He's living in hiding. He's living in shame. He's living in fear. Now he's been given Saul's land, someone to take care of the land, and an invitation to be at David's table. In verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. Ziba says, I'm in. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Another powerful picture of God's grace where we're welcomed to the table as sons and daughters. The only difference is there's no like. Mephibosheth's going to be like a son. You're a son and daughter of God if you're in Christ Jesus. John 1 verse 12 says, But as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Incredible. You believe. That's all you do is you believe, you trust from your heart what Christ has done. And the father says, you're my son. You're my daughter. I've given you the right to become my child. In verse 12 and 13, the chapter ends, Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Saul's line is going to continue through this act of grace. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the Lord's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Fourth thing to consider, it's dependency upon grace. Mephibosheth getting welcomed to the table did not eliminate his need for grace. He still was lame in his feet. He was lame in his feet until he went home to be with the Lord. I've got to tell you, until we go home to be with the Lord, there's going to be a great need for grace in our lives. We're going to continue to be lame in our feet. That's not justifying sin. That's not encouraging you to live in sin or encouraging me to live in sin. But we're going to battle our sinful nature till we go home to be with the Lord. I think we all know that and we, we understand that. 
And so we continually have a need to come and receive God's grace and to be dependent upon God's grace. And Mephibosheth, all he does in this story is have the humility and the faith to receive the grace that's being bestowed upon him. And he says, I'll show up. I'll show up for dinner. I'll show up for relationship. I'll be grateful. I'm gonna enjoy fellowship with David. And that's our Christian life. Is God, I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve to be your son, deserve to be your daughter, but I'm showing up. I'm showing up at your table. I wanna fellowship with you. I wanna walk with you where you're going. That's where I wanna be. I wanna follow after you. I tend to be one that gravitates towards systems and rules and those types of things. And my tendency will to be always to fall back into some kind of works-based relationship with God. And if I'm checking my boxes, then, then God must have favor upon me. But if I fail, man, it's really hard on me. I don't handle failure very good in, in, my, in my own life. Why? Because it's difficult to live by grace it's really hard for me to receive a gift that I didn't contribute anything towards, that I didn't work for, that I didn't save up for, that I don't deserve. That's hard. It's a lot harder to receive that than to give that. You know, you you go out to lunch and there's these shouting matches and these arm wrestling matches over who's going to pay for lunch, right? It's almost easier to say, well, I'll pay than to let somebody else pay. And to let them say, well, just let me bless you. You know, let me buy lunch for you. No, no, I got it. I'm fine. I didn't ask if you were fine. I just wanted to buy you lunch, right? And here God is, is wanting to just lavish his grace and his kindness upon us, but to that place of realizing the nature of grace. It comes through Jesus. Just like it came through Jonathan, it's coming through, through Jesus and a dependency in our lives upon grace. Colossians 2 verse 6 says, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. How did you receive him? Faith dependent upon grace. When you got saved, you received Christ in this manner. I am a sinner. I deserve hell. And Jesus, I believe you love me. You died for me. And I receive your grace and forgiveness. Be the Lord of my life. And then God says, keep walking that way in faith and dependency receiving God's grace. God, I believe you. I believe your promises. Do you believe that God's promises work in your life because of what you contribute to them? So I contribute something to Romans 8.28, and because I did my part of Romans 8.28, then God's going to fulfill his promise. Or do you believe that God fulfills his promises because of his goodness declared in Christ Jesus? All things are going to work together for good. For those that love God, and who are called according to his purpose. All means all, even our mistakes, even our our failures. Okay, Lord, I receive that. I don't deserve that, but I receive that, and I'm living in a dependency of grace. So two questions, and we're done, is am I partaking of God's grace? Am I tasting and seeing that God is good? Do I really put myself in the shoes of Mephibosheth? Or do I go, oh, that's great for somebody else. I've got my act together. I'm not crippled. I'm not lame. I'm not, I'm not broken. Or are we partaking of God's grace? And then are we extending God's grace? 
I believe this is transformational in two ways. One is to be able to receive the grace of God, but then to be a person that's able to extend it. You're going to love life so much more. I'm going to love life so much more if I can learn to extend grace and seeing it through the lens of Christ. The reason that David could show grace was because of Jonathan. And the reason that we can show grace is because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, as we wait upon you, as we sing, as we draw near to you, we just ask that you would manifest your presence, that you would manifest your grace, and we humble ourselves before you. Father, we're in need of your grace. Or we know that we're a dead dog. We know that we're dead in our sins. We know how we wrestle in our own lives and in our own hearts and in our own minds. And we bring our crippledness to you. We bring our our lameness to you. And we receive your provision. We want to be in that place of being at your table and being in fellowship with you.